Let's pray. Heavenly Father, reveal to us amazing things about our world, ourselves, and about you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The doctrine of the Trinity is both unique and hard to understand. First of all, it's unique among all the world's religions. No other religion has such a doctrine. Uh, for example, the Muslim faith, they have a God who is sort of a boss and a taskmaster. The Eastern religions, which are very popular today, they tell us if we want our lives to be serene and joyful, we have to detach from people and from things. God is not a person, he's a force. And so they withdraw. God is a trinity. And there are two things we learn very clearly in our text. Well, let me first of all go back to it's difficult to understand. One, one theologian says that nobody would have ever invented this doctrine. It is beyond our comprehension that there's one God with three persons. Now, in the text, there's two words that are significant that we should take note of. Jesus says, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That little word in, in the Greek, is actually a preposition that more correctly means into. Baptize them into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is very provocative, very powerful, that in baptism we're actually baptized into God's name. Now name, that means the character, the being, the nature of someone. And did you notice it's in the singular? It's don't baptize them in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize them in the name. There is only one God, three persons. And to be baptized into the name, the closest I can come to it, it speaks of a personal relationship, but it speaks of power. In 2 Peter chapter 1, and I think it's verse 3, Peter says, you are partakers of, in the divine nature. We're baptized into God's nature, into his being. Now, I want to look at, at three implications real quick, and these are beautiful and amazing and <laughs> blow-your-mind thoughts. The first one is, because of the Trinity, we know that love is the reason for everything. Love is the source of everything, and love permeates 
God's creation. It is the meaning of his universe. Augustine looked at the Trinity and he wrote quite a lot, but he said, do you realize that the Trinity is a community? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that in this community, they glorify each other. They adore, they praise each other. They live for the other. They live for love. Christianity is the only religion in the whole world that says love is the meaning of the universe and love is the meaning of our lives. Jesus in John 15 says, if you want real joy in your life, love one another as I have loved you. If you want to experience something that really lifts your life and shows you the meaning and the purpose of God's creation, enter into a love relationship with someone. And let me just ask you, isn't that when you feel best? When someone adores and praises and loves you? Doesn't that give you a sense of joy? Now to know that not only do we love and adore and praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they love and adore each one of us. They go out of their way for us. There is no other religion in the world that says love is the reason, the meaning of the universe. Love is the meaning of our lives, not only that we experience God's love, but that we share that love with others. The second implication is being a servant. How do we love others? In Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, uh, Consider the needs of others. Don't only look for your self-interest. But look to Christ, who for us became a servant. And he submitted himself to death, even death on the cross. Within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are serving each other. And that is experienced by us when Jesus comes as a man and serves our greatest need, our most heartfelt desire to know that we are loved, appreciated, accepted, and forgiven. Not only is love the underlying meaning of the universe, we experience this love through God's servant posture towards us on the cross, and also as we see in Christ a desire to serve one another. Now the final one is not spoken of much in the church, but it's essential, and that is a balance. In the 1970s, when I was going to seminary and graduated and became a pastor, 
the hot thing was the neo-Pentecostal movement, the charismatic movement. And quite simply, they overemphasized the Holy Spirit to the exclusion of the Father and the Son. And so religion was an experience, an emotional feeling, an experience of the Holy Spirit's power. Some churches uh, emphasize the Father. And as we say in the Lord's Prayer, the Father's will, that it might be done. And if you focus primarily on the Father and you forget the Son and the Holy Spirit, you end up with a law-oriented, Pharisaic approach to Christianity. More recently, we have had the emphasis on Jesus. And I'm not talking about the cross here. I'm, I'm talking more about the Sermon on the Mount where you remember the WWJD bracelets and T-shirts. What would Jesus do? If you read the Sermon on the Mount and you say, what would Jesus do? That will crush you. Incidentally, at a circuit gathering one time, one of the pastors had a WWJD bracelet on, and I said, you know, the problem with that is when I read the Gospels, I haven't a clue what he's going to do. He always surprises me. Critical of the religious leaders, receptive of the prostitutes and tax collectors. What's going on here? So I don't even know what Jesus would do. It's astounding in many situations what he actually does. But you need a balance. You need to know that the Father glorifies the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son glorifies the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and the Father. They're in the business of adoring, praising, serving, loving one another. Now, I want to conclude with a personal story. Uh, when I was in the Iowa City area as a pastor, I remember we were at the church that was the campus ministry church, just, just a couple blocks from the main campus of the University of Iowa. And one of the pastors said, you know, I think the reason God created the world is because he needed somebody to share his love with. And I thought, wait a minute. Within the Trinity, God has been loving and adoring. These persons have been loving and adoring each other from eternity. Why would he need us? Uh, another pastor said, well, I think God created us to, to love and adore him. He needs that. But wait a minute. Isn't that what the persons of the Trinity have been doing from eternity? Loving and adoring, praising and honoring each other? Why would he need us? So the question is, why did God create us? He doesn't need a love object. He doesn't need our love. The only reason you can come up with is that he wanted to share 
the joy and the love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were experiencing from eternity. That he wanted us to experience that. And just as a final thought, because this is a mission text, the Great Commission, isn't that why we share Jesus with our friends and our family members? Because we want them to experience the joy and the love that we have? Because the Father sent his Son and the Holy Spirit is continually telling us about what Jesus has done and said? Isn't that the reason we're here? We want other people to experience the joy and the love that we have experienced. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed, astounded by the doctrine of the Trinity. But it is because of this doctrine that we know the real reason, the base for this universe is love and service. Help us to appreciate this doctrine, to know that the persons of the Trinity glory in one another, adore each other, love one another, so that we might also share that joy and that love with our world. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.